0: Making Sense of Money, the Gospel and Finances. That's our title for the next three weeks. Church, think about it. Money makes the world go round. Even the Bible acknowledges this in a sense when it says in Ecclesiastes 10, verse 19, bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. It makes sense to use our money wisely as Christians, because the Bible says that when God saves us, he does a work on our soul, but that he also begins a work on our minds. This is called regeneration, being born again, and sanctification, being cleaned and organized spiritually inside and out. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 talks about that pretty well, it paints a picture and it says this, do not be conformed to this world. Do you get that? It's called a command, it's an imperative. You're not allowed as a Christian to take the shape of the world, but instead, Paul says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The renewal of your what? Mind. Of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, the good, the acceptable, the perfect will of God. What this says is that our minds must be renewed in order for you and me to know the will of God. You cannot know the will of God outside of being regenerate and outside of being changed by the grace of God. God wants his people to be thinking people. In other words, the reason we make and spend our money the way that we do, and the reason why we don't make or spend our money the way that we don't, is because of the way we think. So, God's work on our minds, church so that we can trust and think in a way that honors him affects us even in the most practical ways, which leads me to believe that the way most of us think about things, things like money, for example, reveals a secular mentality more than it does a spiritual mentality. You hear where I'm going with this, right? But as I study the scriptures, I think that the Bible teaches us how we should, one, gain our money, two, grow our money, and three, give our money. That's the three points that I have for us this morning. First of all, the scriptures teach us how we should gain our money, two, grow our money, and three, give our money. First of all, let's talk about gaining it. First and foremost, contrary to the guilt that some Christians make other Christians feel when it comes to making and or having money, say amen if you're listening, making and having money is not a sin. Making and having money is not a sin. No, the prosperity gospel is not the biblical gospel. God is not simply a genie in heaven who rains down materialistic blessings or is beholden or obligated to us every time we ask for something that we want or require more stuff in order to be happy. That's not our relationship with God. This isn't biblical, regardless of how much faith you might possess. We don't believe in a prosperity gospel. We believe in a biblical gospel. Nevertheless, it's important to remember that the Bible doesn't say money is evil. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, Paul says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Did you get that? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It says, church, that the love of money is the root of evil, not money. Money is an inanimate object. It can't do good, bad, or indifferent. It is the love of money, the gospel says, that is the root of evil. It's about priorities, you see. To have your bills paid, to have cash in your savings, to have multiple incomes. Oh, that sounds nice, doesn't it? (laughs) Believe it or not, this is biblical. This is biblical. It is the expectation of God on his people to make money. But money is something that is to be gained through industry. In other words, you need to work. Going back to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer, gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, sluggard? When when will you arise from your bed? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. That's how your poverty is going to come on you. I'm just going to lay a little longer. I'm just going to sleep another hour. I'm just going to take another nap. I'm just going to sit down for another five minutes. I'm just going to... Any of these sound familiar? Keep sitting, keep sleeping, keep standing still. You're not going to make a dollar. God doesn't bless you by raining money from the sky. Bless God blesses your industry. Amen? We see this played out in the lives of the people that we respect, love, admire, and even worship. Consider Jesus worked hard. He was a carpenter. Tecton in the Greek, it meant that he not only could build something like a chicken's coop with the wood, but he worked with stone as well, which leads us to believe that Jesus probably had calloused hands, broad shoulders. He was a man. Jesus was a carpenter in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. It says, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James? Even the public knew that he was a carpenter. Paul, the apostle, not only lived off the kindness and generosity of the churches that he served, since he was a full-time missionary and apostle, but he worked also to alleviate any financial distress he might cause younger churches. How did he work? He was a tent maker. Acts chapter 18, verse 3. Acts chapter 18, verse 3 says that Paul was... Of the same trade as Priscilla and Aquila, they were tent makers by trade. So they worked together. Throughout history, men and women of faith have worked because God designed us to work. In the creation, God placed Adam in the garden, Genesis chapter 2 says, and told him to cultivate it and to keep it. And then he gave him a helper named Eve. So work is not only an expectation by our creator, but it's also one of his gifts. Work is a gift, write this down, work is a gift that teaches us the relationship between responsibility And reward work is a gift that teaches us the relationship between responsibility and reward when we're young we want rewards but we don't want responsibilities as we get older we figure out we're not getting rewards without responsibilities that's why when we see people who refuse to hold down jobs and refuse to do work we go what a loser The Proverbs say, What a sluggard. The Bible has a lot to say about this. Consider the following verses. They're going to come up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Again, remember our mindset right now under our first point is gaining it, right? How do we gain money? What does the Bible say in Ephesians 4 24? Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor, let him what? Labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Did you get that? It's not enough when you become a Christian that you stop stealing. The Christian gospel has an expectation of people who are regenerate, That they not only stop stealing, but they work honestly. Not only that they stop stealing and work honestly, but that they work honestly to the extent that they can give to those who have need. You see, it's not enough that you pay your own bills. In Christ's mind, the doctrine that he teaches us is not the doctrine that says, let me work so that I can pay my own bills, but let me work enough so that I can pay my own bills and help those who have need because Christ has met my needs. How about Proverbs chapter 19, verse 15? In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 15, God's word says, an idle person will suffer hunger. An idle person will suffer hunger. Listen, you and I should work. There's no verse in the Bible to support those who don't, or worse, who won't work. We should aim at gaining money honestly by the work of our hands, money enough to live off of, money enough to purchase necessities without constant worry or anxiety, and money enough to give to our church generously or those who may have need. And oftentimes those two things are the same thing. You see, although we aim at making money, we don't aim at making money for money's sake. Amen? A mature Christian knows and understands that money is important, but money is not all important. Follow me here. A mature Christian knows and understands that money is a necessity, but money is not the necessity. Listen, church, a mature Christian knows and understands that money must be possessed. But it'll never be the greatest possession. In a word, money will never and can never take the place of our relationship with God or our relationship with our family. But work and money are a reality in this life. So if you're unemployed, or you're not working enough, or you're not making enough money, the gospel is speaking to you today. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. This is from the New Living Translation, so I put it up on the screen because we typically use the ESV. The New Living Translation translates these verses in a wonderful way, I think. It says, oh God, I beg you for two favors. (laughs) Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. Help me to be a person of character. Give me integrity, God. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs, because if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who's the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and insult your holy name. Church, money that is smartly gained and wisely managed is a healthy target for every Christian because there isn't anything wrong with gaining money. So hard work to gain money, to put in extra hours, to do the overtime, to take the extra job, the side job. But remember, while all these things are good, all the money in the world will never take the place of faith in Christ and will never take the place of the importance of your family. Here are five reasons to gain more money. Ready? Are they on the screen? Do I have them there, Elijah? I'm not sure. Yeah, okay, great. Perfect. Okay, so the five reasons to gain more money. Number one, to pay off debt. Who's got debt? I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I know you have debt. We all have debt. You know why? Because we're hamsters putting a wheel. You think you're unique, but you're not. We all think we're unique, but the world is making us take their mold. Every single one of you have debt, even if your house is the only debt you have. We all live in the system, don't we? We all have debt. Here's the first reason to make more money, to pay off your debt. Secondly, to build our savings. You know what savings is. It's that place where you put extra money. To start a college fund for our kids. To have a Florida prepaid account. How about to give more generously to your church? No, that's for the other guy in the other pew. How about to invest in your 401k with your company or an IRA? So that when you turn 65, you're not broke. We should aim at gaining money, but every day that we procrastinate in regards to gaining financial freedom, today is another day we lose hold and control of our financial position in this world. Procrastination and financial security do not go well together. But let's move to our second point, gaining it. You got to work. You got to work hard. You got to work often. But secondly let's talk about growing it. Money has to be grown. Amen. In other words unfortunately mo- money doesn't just appear. Rubbing 2 dollars together doesn't make 3 4 or 5 and buying or so in burying it doesn't help either. And what's more the prices of everything continue to increase. How often do you leave Publix on a Tuesday at 4:35 and go how was that 50 bucks? I went in there for like a gallon of milk, two loaves of bread, and a little bit of lunch meat. Right? That boar's head is no joke. <laughs> Am I right? $12 for a pound of maple ham. It's not even shredded as fine as I like it. You leave it, us 50 bucks. And before you forget something else, you go back, it's 25 bucks. And you go back again because now it's time for do the groceries and you're out of cereal. Cereal's $5, unless you get the Publix one. I think the Bible teaches us to, one, do more, and two, do less when it comes to growing our money. If we want to grow our money, biblically speaking, I think the Bible teaches us, number one, to do more, and number two, do less. Sounds a little paradoxical, but follow me here. I think I'll make this sensible. First of all, the Bible teaches us to do more, teaches us to do more. Here are a couple of things I want to mention to you. Number one, work. This might sound like a little elementary, but just follow me. First of all, you need to work. Get a job, and if you want to be financially successful in this life, work a lot. Get a second job. If you are thinking that you're going to be successful with 5, 10, or 20 hours a week, I'm going to tell you, you're wrong. It's always funny to me when I hear people say, man, I've worked 40 hours this week. I'm going to work 40 hours this week. I work 40 hours a week in the midnight hours. You survive off of 40 hours a week? The truth of the matter is we are all called to work and work hard Ecclesiastes says sweet is the sleep of the man who works hard gentlemen all of you who are young don't bother asking her out until you have a job and if you're doing the five hour ten hour thing that's great but understand that you've got to make progress as a young man, as an employed young man, if that young lady is going to see something attractive in you. There is nothing attractive about a guy who can only buy Burger King once a week or who wants to go out on a date but split the bill. Don't be a member of my church and split a bill with a girl. If I find out that you're splitting a bill with a girl, I will call your father. Start making your way, young men. Start demonstrating your independence as a man who responds to Jesus Christ. Independence is attractive. Independence and confidence is attractive. You should be exuding these things. Women are not attracted to men who need their mothers to make their breakfast and tie their shoe. It's not attractive. You need to start making your mark as a man and one of the first steps to making your mark as a man is working and working hard. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 10 says if anyone's unwilling to work don't let him eat. That's so harsh. That's not how that's not how we talk today. But that's not that's scripture man. That's the Apostle Paul. They don't want to work. Don't let them eat. Now, he's not talking about those who have need that is genuine. We have people who call our church, and they have need, and it's genuine. And therefore, our deacons oversee a particular line item in our budget, and it's called the benevolent fund. And when people have need in our church, we meet those needs, and we love to meet needs. The amount of money we have spent through the benevolent fund is crazy, and it's a blessing for us to be able to do it. Amen? Some of you have reaped the reward of the faithfulness of people who have poured into that benevolent fund because you've needed your mortgage paid. You've needed your light bill paid. You've needed some groceries put in your refrigerator. And as the body of Christ, so help us, God, we will do it. But if you won't work, we're not paying your Netflix bill. If you won't work, we're not paying your Apple Music bill. We're here to meet your needs genuine needs carry your own weight if your job doesn't support you if it doesn't lead you toward more and more independence then you need to have vision enough to get another job a better job a better paying job but not until you get it you can't go home and say let me rewind my wife would say easy let me breathe for a second you can't go home And go into your parents' refrigerator, which has been stocked and provided for you, and say, I've decided not to work until I find the job that's for me. If you want independence, you've got to grow that independence. You might not like the job you're in right now, but don't let go of it until you get a job that's better. That's called responsibility. Responsibility and reward have a relationship. Secondly, we need to work. We need to have a side hustle. You need to have a side hustle. Side hustle is magic. Side hustle is the thing that helps you understand because it's usually cash. Somehow you're doing favors for somebody, or maybe you have a talent or a skill that somebody says, Hey, do you mind helping me out with this? So, and I'll pay you. No big deal. You do it. That's cash. You need a side hustle. You can't only work those hours a week and come home and spend six hours on Facebook and go, everything's fine. I don't need anything else. Yes, you do. Because don't forget, we all have the debt. If we aren't aggressively paying off our house, we're paying way too much money toward the mortgage company. I don't care how low the interest rates are. It's not yours until it's paid for. So regardless of how you look at it, if every day you come home and you've got all these hours in your day that are free, but you still have debt, That's the only reason you need to have a side hustle. I don't care if it's a part-time job over here. I don't care if it's something that uses your skills for other people, regardless of what your side hustle might be. Have a side hustle. Thirdly, investing. Investing. If your money is in the hands of the bank, which is like 1%, or under your mattress, it's not doing anything for you. Nothing at all. Matthew chapter 25, in principle, is a parable that teaches us the importance of wisely investing what God has given to us, both monetarily and spiritually. Listen to what Proverbs 13:22 says. Proverbs 13:22: "A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children." A good man, what kind of man? A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now, I've rubbed shoulders. I can be abrasive. I don't know if you know this. But I've rubbed shoulders with guys who have said, the day my kids are 18, they're on their own. That's blasphemy, man. That's American. That's not biblical. Your kids are always your kids. And let me tell you something, the kind of parent that you are, when your kids get old and you can't change your pants, that comes back to you, bro. That comes back to you. You love and raise your kids because there will come a time when you're going to need them to return the favor. Your kids are never not your kids. I don't care if they're 18, 28, 38, 48, 58, whatever. Your kids will always be your kids. That doesn't mean you parent them the same way when they're a mother or a father and have three kids and you talk to them about the color of paint they change. You know, they're their own family. You need to give them space. But they're always your kids. Amen. I'm speaking about investment because this is what Proverbs 13:22 says. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. I think it's a cop out when we say the second you're 18, I'm done with you. I think it's a cop out. And if I might be so bold, I think it's a generational sin. I think most men say that because that's what their fathers did to them. And I think it's blasphemous. I think that sin needs to be broken. I think our kids need to grow up with the freedom and liberty of knowing that they need to work hard and try hard. And if, God forbid, they ever hit a hard spot, their mother and their father are going to be there to back them up. The Florida Baptist Convention has someone locally, he's a friend of mine, in fact, who gets together with churches at a separate time, say a Saturday afternoon, and speaks to the membership about investments. In fact, they are so committed to helping Florida Baptists as a group be successful financially that if you do, for example, a will with them, they cover all the doc fees for you. And dock fees can be very expensive. This is something that I'm talking to him about because I think it would be something that would be advantageous for all of us. So there are three things that I think we can do more of to grow our money. We can work and work more. We can have a side hustle, and we can invest what we have. Matthew chapter 7, verses 25 to 34, give us a little perspective when it comes to doing less, however. Listen to what Matthew 7 says. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. Don't worry about your body, what you're going to put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow's thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, What are we going to eat or what are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? These are the things that the Gentiles seek. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow because tomorrow's anxious enough for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. Have faith in God's ability to provide for you. Do less. The thrust of this passage is that God is going to take care of us. Amen? So if we are experiencing anxiety, then our faith is weak because God has promised. Do we believe or do we not believe? It's as simple as that. The underlying message, however, is that pursuing material things for material things' sake isn't a godly pursuit. That's what faithless people do, people who aren't focused or concerned with eternity. That's what they do to fill the void in their life. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other stuff will be added to you. So we've talked about gaining money, or excuse me, growing money, and doing more to grow it. Secondly, let's talk about doing less. Number one, you can budget your spending. Budget your spending. Listen, after you organize your priorities and you budget your expenses, you'd be amazed at how much money grows in your wallet. A budget does incredible things, because the truth of the matter is, is you and I, we spend money aimlessly, right? We put the check through the ATM, and we go, the check is in there, and we're sticking the debit card everywhere. We can't spend money like that. You and I, we have to have a target for every single dollar we spend. We do less, our money grows. We've got to budget the spending. Secondly, we've got to choose our priorities. We've got to choose our priorities. Just because the neighbor has it doesn't mean you have to have it too. If you're paying $35 a month for the service on your iPhone and Apple comes out with another iPhone that works exactly like your iPhone. You don't necessarily have to go get into another two year lease and jump your cell phone bill from $35 a month to $85 a month. Choose your priorities. You don't need the newest phone, you don't need the newest car, the latest trends, the biggest cable package. Just cut the cable package. Just get the apps. Be done with it. You don't need to watch the news anyway, it's evil. Choose your priorities and stick to them. Your money will grow. Thirdly, cut up your cards. Cut up your cards. I will make you a promise. If you cut up your Discover card and your Visa card and your MasterCard and your American Depressed, if you you cut up those cards, I'm going to make you a promise. They will still send you your bill. They're going to send you your bill. It doesn't matter. They don't care if you cut up the card or not. You owe them $20,000. They're sending the bill. Be aggressive about paying off your debt. The reality is, if you got five, dollars dollars $15,000 on a one or a mixture of credit cards, you're probably paying 18 20 21% on that. Oh, my gosh. Just saying it out loud is like... Ugh. You know how much interest you're paying on stuff that you can't even remember buying? Get free of debt. Do less. Cut up the cards and take them out of the equation. You won't need them, the cards. You won't need them. Well, why won't I need them, Joe? Because you're choosing your priorities and making a budget. If you choose your priorities and make a budget, you don't need Visa. They're banking. On you believing. When Macy says, while supplies last, while supplies last, I gotta go now. They're gonna run out. This is every weekend, man. Wait five minutes, there's gonna be another sale. You don't have to do it right now. Don't let the world pressure you into breaking outside of the boundaries of your budget and your priorities. That's how you incur debt. Cut up the cards. Listen, gain money, good. Growing money, good. Finally, giving money, giving money. Irresponsible lending, unwise spending, mismanagement, and misappropriation of funds has led not only America, but the majority of Europe into disastrous financial territory. We spend money like it's make-believe. We're giving money away like it's make-believe. If you are in any kind of situation where you are, for example, an employer, you probably are coming to grips with this reality. People are taking interviews just to tell unemployment they took the interview. We are essentially paying people to stay home right now. We cannot get people to work. They don't want to work because the government's paying them to stay home. I don't want to be paid to stay home. I want to I want my independence. Don't give me anything, just give me opportunity. That's the tone of voice we need to have as Americans in the United States of America. Amen? Amen. That's biblical. It is not biblical to stay home and live off of handouts. Benevolence is important. Sometimes God has provided for us through benevolence. Sometimes God has met our needs through the kindness of others, but that's not the norm. That's the exception. The reckless mentality that is tied to materialism instead of biblical wisdom has poisoned our minds. And if we were to ask the world, they'd tell us to take another loan, put a mortgage on the house, open another credit card, or file bankruptcy. And if you filed bankruptcy, I'm not judging you. That's just the reality of the matter. That's the way we do things in the world. So if this is the reality, if this is how we're living, if we owe more to people than our income would ever support, then how in the world are we, say amen if you're listening, how are we to fulfill God's commands and to live sacrificially so that we can grow our church and do missions? and reach people with the gospel who don't know the name of Jesus Christ the Savior because we're weighed down by debt to such an extent that we can't. Our debt is crippling us. We've got to gain it. We've got to grow it so that we can give it. It's as simple as that, church. If there's a place that's going to suffer when people are being unwise about their money, it's going to be this area of their life. Just by way of illustration, as soon as things started getting difficult in, our, in this country, for a lot of people, not those of you who are sitting here right now, but for a lot of people, the first thing out was church attendance, and the last thing in is church attendance. That's why we went from 200 a week to 120. 120. That's their decision. That's their conviction. If if they feel the conviction to get back into a fellowship, there's one here. We never stopped. But that's their decision. But that will incur a spiritual debt. Marriages are hurting, young people are hurting. Intimacy with Christ is hurting. The spread of the gospel has been slowed because our obedience to everything that comes down the pike is extinguishing the fire of God the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what does Paul say in Thessalonians? Do not quench the Spirit. It's the same with money. Every time something is conveyed to us, if we follow it, we're compromising the spiritual aspect of our lives and the commitments that we ought to have to giving and giving generously to our church. Here are three things that giving does. Number one, giving motivates discipline. Giving motivates discipline. Let me explain what I mean by this. If you're going to be a giver, if you have resolved to be a giver, then you have to discipline yourself to give. Amen? If you get paid and go, I'm going to give this much to my church, then you've got to subtract that from what you've got. That process is called discipline. Giving motivates discipline. Secondly, giving reveals our hearts. If you don't give, that's saying something. If you give very little and only where it's comfortable and convenient for you, that says something. If you give sacrificially, that says something. Giving reveals our hearts. And finally, giving multiplies giving. This is one thing I know and one thing I can testify to. If you start to giving, if you start giving, excuse me, actively engaging in what God does in prayer and in faith with that giving, you'll not only want to give, you'll want to give more. Once you get disciplined, once your heart is focused on giving and cooperating and contributing to the mission of God, financially, you start to go, I want to give all the time. But understand me, the Bible says that our giving shouldn't be done reluctantly or with bitterness. That only reveals where our true love is. Giving is a privilege and pleasure because as God blesses us, he subsequently invites us to engage in caring for people and investing in the spread of his gospel, all that he does. So in that sense, giving is a gift that God gives us. You see, the gospel informs everything when it comes to money. What we do with it or don't do with it, what we spend it on, or what we don't spend it on. The gospel guides how we manage our money because the gospel teaches us that our focus shouldn't be on material things that are here one day and gone the next, but instead on eternal things that endure forever. On this very point, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Have you prioritized God's purpose in your life so that it affects how you manage your money? Have you been giving to God's purpose? Have you been giving a great percentage to temporary things, secondary things, and skimping on what is due to God? In closing, let me say this. It makes sense to use our money wisely as Christians. God never bypasses the mind. He wants us to be thinking people. People who demonstrate their faith in him by how they function for him. And as we've learned, one of those ways is demonstrated by how ultimately we bring him glory and do good to those around us with regard to gaining money growing money, and giving money. But Jesus. But Jesus. Jesus is the first thing we should gain. Amen? Jesus is the main person in whom we should grow. Amen? And Jesus is the best thing we could ever give. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you see, with Jesus, our debts to God are paid. We don't have to give God anything. With Jesus, our debts aren't growing. They're satisfied. And with Jesus, we are free to give the gospel because it has been paid for in full.